So the tough question that we are to grapple with today, I'll have put it on the screen, is this. Is euthanasia really bad? And I'll give you the context of that question. Here's my question. Is euthanasia really bad? If someone is at the end of their life or dying, isn't it more humane to let them die quickly and gracefully as opposed to prolonging their suffering? Please understand that I do not support assisted suicide or ending someone's life quickly, but in the world today where moral boundaries have been blurred, it seems to be a topic worth discussing. Just recently, a friend of ours needed to put their pet down due to its health and the fact it was dying, and they commented that the young worker mentioned that we treat our pets better than we treat our loved ones. You know, truly, this is a complex issue. Never think that we can just take a brush and swipe it across and one size fits all. Each case of treatment needs to be looked at. Our society and our medical community grapple with this. Many hospitals have ethics boards to discuss these things with their lawyers and all the other things that go on to make decisions in the case of people's lives. But I really want, first of all, to say what is it that we are talking about today? What is euthanasia? And here's the definition. Euthanasia, in its proper sense, is a synonym for mercy killing, which involves suicide and or murder. Now I say that because we are not talking about hospice care or end-of-life care, when someone is terminally ill, when their body cannot sustain its own life anymore, when we have exhausted all medical options and medical options are of no use, when there is no hope of recovery, when we've gotten to the point of managing pain for that person in the end-of-life situation. That is not what we're talking about. That is not euthanasia. What we are talking about is a person who was in the news several years ago. Her name was Brittany Maynard. She was 29 years old. She had been diagnosed with an aggressive form of brain cancer. Initially, she had treatment with surgery to remove the cancer, which was successful. But as the months progressed, the cancer reappeared. At that point, she decided that she would move from California to Oregon where there was a law for physician-assisted suicide. And she decided that she would then decide the point in her life as she watched her life progress when she felt she was no longer fully in control or fully in the moment of her life. And then she would take her own life. So that on November 1st, 2014, she received the prescription of barbiturates from the physician, took them and took her own life. We are also talking about, as Pastor Mark mentioned, the movie that came out in June, the movie Me Before You, which is the scenario of a man who is a quadriplegic, neither he is paralyzed in his legs and his hands, in a wheelchair, confined there for life, who has a caregiver. This is being called the love story of the summer. They fall in love, But still at the end of the movie, this man, because not of medical things that are happening, just because of the struggle of life of being someone who is a quadriplegic, decides that he will go to Switzerland and he will end his life by committing suicide. 
This is what we're talking about in terms of euthanasia. And as we look at this, I want to kind of take a two-folded approach, put the next slide up, as we look at this. We're going to look at what the world's view on this is, how the world interprets what we're talking about, and then we, how as Christians, we look at these things. And we're going to look at those three areas, the area of suffering, the problems that come with these interpretations, and then our response to these things. I say this Because Vicar Michael Hansen last week talked about the two kingdoms, the kingdom of grace, which is in essence the church, and the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of power, the secular world, and how those two kingdoms meet in the individual, in us. We belong in both and we are in both, all under Christ's rule. But what's important to understand is there are people in the secular world who are not members of the kingdom of grace in the church. Because that comes only through baptism, that adoption into Jesus Christ. And so they don't have any of the view that we have. We understand in the church that the very norm and source of all the things that we teach and believe and confess comes from the Word of God. But in the secular world, Law and reason are the thing that dictates. And we need to understand that as we discuss it. We need to know where the world is coming from, the secular world. We need to know what we believe as the people of Jesus Christ. So first, in this topic of suffering, I want to describe for you the secular view of the world. This is from Harvard University researcher Richard Spencer. He says the following, The meaning of life in Western society is individual freedom. There is no higher good than the right and the freedom to decide for yourself what you think is good. Cultural institutions are supposed to be neutral and value-free, not telling people what to live for, but only ensuring the freedom of every person to live as he or she finds most satisfying and fulfilling. To the person of that mindset, Suffering is of no possible use. The only thing to do with suffering is to avoid it at all costs, or if it is unavoidable, to manage and minimize the emotions of pain and discomfort as much as possible. To the secular world, suffering has no meaning. It is an interruption in their pursuit of happiness of life. It is something that needs to be removed if it can be. So the conclusion in the secular world of what to do with human suffering is to manage or to lessen the pain of it and to find the cause and eliminate it. And so we hear words, words in the society, words as we describe this topic of euthanasia, of death with dignity, or to avoid a problem, or to solve it, to eliminate, to control it. That's the secular world's view. We need to understand that. Now in the church, our view, as we said, comes from the Word of God. And you heard today the passages of Scripture where Paul is talking about being in the body, being here living, or being at home with Jesus Christ, which he says is far better. Which should I choose? For me to live is Christ, to die is to gain. But he realizes that if he is here still living, that there is purpose and meaning behind it, that God has a plan. As Jesus looked at his friend Lazarus, who had died from a sickness that he had, He knew that God had a plan and a purpose behind it because he was going to raise Lazarus up so that all would know who Jesus was. There is purpose behind all of those things. If we look at page after page and chapter after chapter in the Bible, 
There are pages of suffering people. Think about Job, for instance. But there is also the outcome of that suffering. Knowing that we believe in the church, God will work all things together to good for those who love him. We also know the ultimate suffering that was experienced by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross through all he went through, the greatest suffering that ever took place in order that, for a purpose, in order that he might redeem the world, that he might bring the forgiveness of sins to the world. You see, we believe in the Christian church that suffering is not without purpose, as hard as it is, but that God has a purpose. And I want to read from Timothy Keller, who we've looked at many times, author, in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. He says this, Christianity teaches that counter to fatalism in the world, where suffering is overwhelming, counter to Buddhism that says that suffering is real, Counter to karma that says that suffering is unfair, and counter to secularism that says suffering must be avoided at all costs, the Christian church believes that there is purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than imaginable. While other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life joys foreseeing the coming sorrows. Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of the world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. You see, our view is quite different than the world's view. Our view of all things that happen is the view of hope in Jesus Christ, knowing the final outcome, knowing that we will persevere through all things because of him who has loved us. So the problem then, as we move on to number two in the world with that view of suffering, that it must be avoided at all costs, that it is of no use, the problem that comes is then when we hear words in the news, we associate meanings with those that we have. But those words mean something totally different in the secular world. For instance, the word compassion. It's not a word I'm familiar with at all. Ask the staff. They know I'm the most compassionless guy in the world. But in the world, the idea of compassion as it deals with suffering is this, that the ultimate compassion is the termination of the lives of those who are weak and helpless, who are not living a fulfilled life. That's what compassion means. There is also the problem in the world of medical technology. I say it's a problem because of its advances and because of its scope. It overwhelms us because of all that can be done. And it has advanced faster than the ethics have in order to use and make decisions. David Thomas Ma, who is a Roman Catholic theologian and ethicist, says this about medical technology. As a result of modern medical technology, people don't die all at once anymore. They die in pieces. And the problem is you are never sure which piece to stop at. What he's talking about is the fact that someone can be on a respirator. Someone can have a feeding tube. Someone can have IVs. Someone can have a DNR order to not resuscitate. There are tons of medical options that we can use because of the technology to keep someone alive. So what do you remove? Which piece 
do you take away? Which is the right thing to do as opposed to when these technologies didn't exist, we simply died. We all died at once. And so it is a struggle on the application of these things as we look at them and the ethics of these things. And then also the problem in the world is the definition of what care is and how it is defined in the world, what care means when they say, well, we're caring for someone. There are twofold purpose in that caring and twofold explanations. It goes like this. Care in the world is attempting to eliminate or alleviate the suffering. Eliminate or alleviate the suffering. That's caring for the person. The other definition is that we are attempting the sufferer could explain and understand the suffering. So explain and understand, eliminate and alleviate. That is care in the secular world. And so here's the problem. When we can't do those things in a situation, when we're dealing with somebody in the medical community who doesn't know what to do, we can't alleviate the problem, we can't eliminate the problem, We can't understand the problem, and we can't explain the problem. How many times doesn't that happen? People say, why is this happening? What can you do? When there are none of those answers in the secular world, we come up then with a fix. Because of all things, we must be able to fix this problem. And so the fix for these problems when we can't do those things is euthanasia, is take your own life or murder by assisted suicide with a physician. That will solve the problem that we can't answer through care. You see the difference? You see what happens there? And as I said, every situation in this is different. Every response, multifaceted, we need to look at it. So our response then to all of this in the secular world, in these views, in these words, and these ideas, what is it? Well, first and foremost, as I said in the Christian church, we know that the Word of God is what teaches us the truth, and we hold to that. First and foremost, we know in the church that it is God who is the author of life, who has ordained all things, that the scriptures teach us that God has numbered our days. He knows the length of those. He knows when we rise and when we fall. He remembers what we're made of, it says. He knows that we're dust. He knows how fragile we are. It is God who alone knows if a disease is uncurable, whether he has allowed medical research to know what he already knows, what the cure for that is. God is in control of these things. And I say this to you because it is human arrogance. It is sin for us to take into our hands the control of what belongs to God alone, to judge when a life is worth living. It's sin. We know that from the Word. We understand that because that's what it tells us. This realm belongs to God. But I also want to explain to you that the Word that tells us this is not something that the world can understand. In fact, if we take all those things to say, God is in control, this is sin, this is what's wrong in His, you're arrogant, all this, that's called the law in the Word. And we cannot take the law into the world and expect that it will change people's hearts. In fact, the Scripture tells us that. The law kills. It is not going to change the hearts of people in the world. It is only going to put up a defense to them where they will not then hear us when we have something that will change their hearts, the gospel. We need to, as we're going through this series, be able to speak in love, in gentleness of the hope that is in us. And so the response of the Christian church to all this 
is to offer yet another thing, another definition, I would say, of care. And I want you to hear the following. Henry Nolan is a priest and an author, and he lives at a daybreak home in Toronto, a caregiving home. And he talks about one of his primary caregivers named Adam. He says this, Adam is the weakest person of our family. He's a 25-year-old man who cannot speak, cannot dress himself, cannot walk, cannot eat without help. His back is curved. His arm and leg movements are spastic. He suffers from severe epilepsy. And even with heavy medication, he has few days go by without grand mal seizures. It takes me about an hour and a half to wake Adam, to give him his medication, to undress him, to carry him to his bath, to wash him, to shave him, to clean his teeth, to dress him, to walk him to the kitchen, to give him breakfast, to put him in a wheelchair and bring him to the place where he spends most of the day doing therapeutic exercises. After a month of working with Adam, something started to happen in me that has never happened before. This severely handicapped young man, whom outsiders sometimes describe with very hurtful words, started to become my dearest companion. As my fears of entering Adam's unfamiliar world decreased, I began to feel a profound tenderness and affection towards him. Before this, I had come to believe that what makes us human is our mind. But Adam keeps showing me that what makes us human is our heart, the center of our being, where God has hidden trust and hope and love. Deep speaks to deep. And spirit speaks to spirit, and heart speaks to heart. If Adam wants anything of me, it is that I simply be with him. So in the world, care is eliminate and alleviate, explain and understand, and when those don't work, we fix the problem through assisted suicide and murder. But care for us in the Christian church means simply being with the person in need. And I say that because that is what you and I have through our baptism. The presence of Christ in our lives, who has promised to be with us through all suffering and through all pain. Christ gives us strength in the midst of our suffering to persevere, to keep going. For we glory in our sufferings, and we know that suffering produces perseverance, as Paul says. Luther tells us that we, as Christian people, are little Christ, that we bring Christ into the world by being present in the world. We know in the church that Jesus has promised to be with us, present with us through his word and sacrament, but Jesus has also promised to be with his people. For it says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of it. And people, I'm here to tell you, that is not a minimum quantity that has to happen. Jesus is with you as an individual. He is with you because that is his promise in baptism, to go with you, to be with you to the close of the ages. Reverend Richard Newhouse writes the following then in response to Jesus being in us and caring through presence. 
He says this, to entrust ourselves to the care of others is to abandon preoccupation with our own dignity and to allow others the greatest human dignity, which is caring for those who have no claim upon us other than the claim of human need. We call this the ministry of presence. It is the gift that we can bring to the world that so sees suffering and all of its problems as something that has to be eliminated, something that has to be gone, and the fix when they can't is to take life. We bring to the world a ministry of presence to just be with someone. How many times haven't friends probably said to you, why is this happening to me? It's okay to say, I don't know, but I promise to be with you through it. Well, how many times haven't people said, is there a cure? What am I going to do? I can't find and I can't explain it. I don't know, but I promise that I will be here for you. This is the ministry that we do bring into the world with love and with gentleness. For the hope that is in us is Jesus Christ who is in us that we bring out into the world. That is the gift that we have in the face of the secular society that so sees these things as destructive and doesn't know how to answer that question other than death. Now the final thing that I need to say to you is we need to remember as Christian people There is always forgiveness available for every situation of life. The Scriptures tell us that we, as creation, are subject to futility, which means we don't have all the answers. We will make mistakes. We will fail. We will sin. It happens. It's who we are. We're broken people. But Jesus brings forgiveness and love. And just like any woman who in her early life thought that the best way to treat Her unborn child might be abortion who later realizes that wasn't the choice that she should have made. Has forgiveness offered and received. So someone who has gone through this who thought that euthanasia was the choice in their life for their loved one can be offered forgiveness also for those choices. It's who we are. We're a community of forgiveness and love. And Jesus has given us that gift. And we bring that to the world. Will you pray with me? Lord, how great is the gift that you have given us. Or you have given us your presence through all situations. We know, Lord, that through whatever suffering comes, we are not alone. You are with us, beside us. You will give us strength to meet that day. And if suffering takes our lives, we know that by your promise and by your resurrection, we will be with you. We will be there forever, which is, as Paul says, by far greater. Lord, help us in this world that is so empty and so hopeless to bring hope and gentleness, to bring a ministry of care through your presence, through just simply caring for the people around us, to let, us, let them know there are those who care, there are those who love, to give that hope and that peace and that life in your name to so many in need. We ask this as we give you all the praise and all the glory in your name, Jesus. Amen.